0: Uh, We are continuing our series. I I apologize, my voice is still not at 100%, so if I need to stop and get some water, uh, I appreciate your patience. Mm. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of John uh, called Come and See. Uh, And just as a reminder, we are not going to be hitting every verse and every story in the Gospel of John Uh, We're doing our best to uh, cover a a good swath, but we have a reading plan that will cover every verse and every story of the Gospel of John. Uh, If you go on the Church Center app or if you go to hcclenoxville.ca slash john, you will see that reading plan, and then we also have some discussion questions uh, week to week whether for your personal use, you as a family, or your life group, if you choose to uh, go through the gospel of John with us, uh, we we, uh, encourage you to do that, and that's there. This week, as we look at Come and See, um, this bigger kind of uh, idea of of John inviting us to lay aside our assumptions Uh, and and expectations about who Jesus or the Messiah ought to be, and instead just come and experience Jesus on his terms. We have this idea of come and see, and this week, it's a little bit more literal. Um, This week, we are talking about Jesus healing a man who was blind. And uh, it is a little bit literal this week, Uh, But I want to really focus in, not so much on the healing, but on what happens after that. And as we look at this passage together, the big idea that I want you to get this morning is this, that a personal testimony of encountering Jesus is a powerful thing. A personal testimony of encountering Jesus is a powerful thing. And so let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 9. Uh, and I went back and forth on how much we're reading today, but I, we're going to go ahead and read most of the chapter here, uh, starting in verse 1 and go through verse 34 and cover most of this story uh, and talk about some of the other things as well. Now, remember, this is happening right after the Feast of Booths, of, of Sukkot, this Jewish festival. And this is all happening. In the aftermath of that, and in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, uh, this this is where we're at. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, (coughs) excuse me, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent." So he went and he washed and he came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes, and he said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went, and I washed, and I received my sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who's a sinner do such things? And there is a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received a sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, you're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where this man comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began had it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. This is God's word. God, thank you so much for stories that show us your character, your attributes, your loving kindness, your love towards us, and your mission to redeem us to yourself through your son, Jesus. I pray that this morning we would get to know you through your word, but also, God, that we would live differently, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed more into the image of your son, and we pray it all in his name. You know, as we um, think about growing ministries and uh, Sophie coming up and talking about how we've got way more moms coming and way more kids on a Sunday morning and way more people than we expected, um, it's, it is not hard to see where that comes from. And it's not some you know, charismatic silver-tongued preacher. Uh, that's not why four-year-olds are coming to church. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Um, it is because people quite often have a personal invitation. When I see people coming to church, to events, to life groups, more often than not, it's because they say, you know, so-and-so was attending or so-and-so had come and they told me about what it has done in their life, and I just had to come. I had to come and see for myself. And this is really and truly the most effective way to convince people to be involved is through personal testimony. It is not through some uh, social media campaign or slick advertising. As much as we announce things uh, from the front and we want people to be aware, the absolute best way to get people plugged in is by personal invitation, when you say, this is how this has changed me in my life, that is way, way more compelling to people than anything we can say from up here. That's just the reality of it. And that is what we see in this passage of the man born blind. And in fact, he's not just blind, but blind from birth. Over and over and over again, we see this emphasized, that he was born blind. He was born uh, with this defect. And that's important because within the messianic miracles that uh, through the the Talmud, the Mishnah, that that Jews and rabbis had been uh, preaching to each other, they were told, this is what you are to expect the Messiah will do. This is how we will know God's chosen, God's anointed one is coming, is he'll do certain miracles that no one else has done before. Like healing a leper or healing someone who is lame or healing someone with birth defects that no one else could solve. It was it was this idea that only God could right this thing that had been wrong since birth. And so that is Key to this story of Jesus healing this man blind since birth. That's why they want to know. They track him down. They track his parents down. And there is this idea that only God can heal him. And in fact, that is what Jesus says even before he heals the man. In the opening sort of, uh, you know, uh, the prologue to what's going on here, we see this. Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents That the works of God might be displayed in him. It is not about this man's sin. It is about how God is going to show you only he can heal. Only he can make us right. Only God can draw us to himself and mend our broken relationship and our broken lives. And that's what is evident in this man's life, blind since birth. And Jesus is very explicit in saying, and I am the one here to do that. I am showing you this. And in fact, he repeats the second of these seven I am statements that we see throughout the book of John. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then a little bit later, uh, this one is said, and here now he repeats it. I am the light of the world. Jesus is being very explicit in saying, yes, it is true. Only God can heal this man, and I am going to do it. He is very boldly making a statement about who he is. And even more than that, the way in which he does that, the way in which John describes this miracle of him spitting in the ground and forming something out of the mud and putting that on the man in order to make him whole. It's very evocative of creation. It's very evocative of how God made human beings in the first place from the dust, molding them from the earth itself. And there is so much here that points to Jesus's deity being so much more than just a prophet, as the people are arguing about and, and as this man initially thinks as well. And the other thing too uh, that I wanna highlight, um, you'll notice he puts the mud on and then he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, if you're here last week, you remember we talked at length about the Feast of Sukkot. And central to this Feast of Booths of Sukkot was every single day, people would go to this pool of Siloam and draw water and carry it up to the temple and pour it out on the altar as a symbol of waiting, anticipating God's anointed one, God's sent one. And in fact, that's what Siloam means, sent. And and John tells us that in this here. And so, what Jesus is doing is he is still going back to these symbols of anticipation of the Lord's promised Messiah, God's chosen one who is coming, and he is openly saying, and it's me. I am here. I am the Christ. And then we move on, and we have this, uh, we have this nice little, um, you know, addition in, in verse 14 where they, the Pharisees are all riled up, and they bring him in, and, and you see, well, now it was the Sabbath day when, when Jesus made the mud. It, by the way, it was the Sabbath, and already we're kind of groaning, and we're going, all right, we know where this is going, because this is not the first time that Jesus has really stirred the pot on the Sabbath, okay? He heals the, the paralyzed man, Uh, the, you know, the man who's lame, that happens on the Sabbath, and that really irks the Pharisees. That really drives them crazy. And so just by saying, uh, oh, by the way, this was on the Sabbath, you go, oh, here we go again. Oh, you know, that's going to irritate them. So we already know kind of where the conflict is heading in this story, and what is going to be frustrating for these Pharisees. And what they do is they really grill this guy. I mean, you have to imagine he's still like, imagine literally never seen anything. And this is the first day in your life that you're like, oh, those are the trees that you guys were talking about. Like, like it, the, the entire world is brand new. And he spends the day in a courtroom being grilled with all of these theological questions. They want to know, how did he do it? who was it? What was the man's identity? We are putting you on the spot. In the same way that the people asked, the people said, you know, is this the guy? Is it not the guy? And he's like, hey, it's me. Hello, I can clear this up for you. And they're like, who was that man? Where is he? Tell us about him. And he's like, look, here, he told me to spin mud and then wash and now I see. like the, This is what's happened. And the Pharisees kind of do the same thing, and they're asking, is he from God, is he not? They're asking all of these sort of Bible theology questions to this guy who has just been healed. And and I got to tell you, he does a pretty good job. He knows God's word. This man, blind his whole life, has at least hung around long enough that he has learned some of what the Torah says. He has learned some of the teaching from the Talmud enough that he kind of understands what we ought to be expecting with the Messiah. And maybe even when he talks about, look, never before has someone who was born blind been healed and now this guy does it, you know, he's making a case for that. And when he says, listen, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, why on earth would he listen to this man if he weren't good with God? Like, we, he's, he's trying to reason with them logically. And he even, you know, he talks about this idea of a promise of someone who is coming to do these very things. Uh, Let me give you just one example from the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 42, in Isaiah 42, um, Isaiah is is making this pronouncement of, of the Lord's chosen one who is coming. There is all of this like, doom and destruction and judgment, and in the midst of it, Isaiah peppers in these, but remember God's promises. Remember what he is doing. And kind of at the tail end of this this poem in Isaiah 42, he says this, this is what the Lord's chosen will come to accomplish, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is what is in their minds. This is why Jesus shows up and he says, here I am to show you the works of God. I am the light of the world. And this man knows it. He understands. And he's giving them some pretty good theological defenses of why we ought to take Jesus seriously. And yet, that isn't what's compelling. And yet, they're pretty unmoved by that. And yet, even though it's the Pharisees that are putting him on the spot, he gives them an answer, and they're like, what do you know, you sinner? Like, hypocrisy much? You know? And yet, that is not the thing that is most powerful. The thing that is most powerful is when he stands on his own two feet, even after his parents... Don't, this, this is, I, for me, this is one of those humorous things where his parents are brought in and they really don't want to get caught up in the scandal. And they're like, okay, we can confirm that is our son and that he was born blind. Nothing else. It's like, oh, thank you, mom and dad. Uh, that's, that's cool. That affirmation means so much to me. Um, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever worked for like a big organization. My, my wife and I work for a, a behavioral health Uh, ministry for a long time. Really, really big, big organization. And it is their company policy that they don't do. Like if you called Boys Town now and said, can you tell me what kind of employee Daniel was? All that they can do is that legally they have an internal policy where they just say, we can confirm this man once worked for us. That is all, period. Like that's kind of how it feels like his parents right now. They're like, Yes, that is our son, he was born blind, no more questions. Like, <laughs> um, And so he comes in, and they're still grilling him. Who is this guy? Is he the Messiah? Whose authority did, did he do this under? And he cuts through all of it, and he says, here are the facts. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. That feels pretty incontrovertible. That feels pretty hard to argue with, given the context. They have plenty of witnesses who recognize, isn't this the guy? Isn't this? We're not told his name, by the way, so like you have to use a little bit of. A, he's just the man, but you know, insert whatever you think it could be. Isn't this Jeff who used to sit by the you know and beg? And yes, everyone can acknowledge, this is that guy. He really has been blind his whole life. And now he sees. I don't know if they give him an eye test. I'm assuming it would be pretty easy to demonstrate I can now see. And this is an incredible thing. He goes, listen, yesterday I was blind. Today I can see. That's it. Defense rests, your honor. And no one gets to argue with that. You know why? A personal testimony of encountering Jesus is a powerful thing. You know, all he is doing in the same way that he referenced uh, it, it, the, the way that he responded to the people earlier in verses 10 and 11, where he, they're going, what, how did he do it? I, I, some mud and, some, and I washed and now I see. This is what I know. It is a simple recitation of the facts where he says, here's how I was, here's how I am now. The only difference between now and then is I met Jesus the only difference in my life is I encountered this guy. Do with that what you will, but my life has been forever changed. I was blind, and now I see. And I got to tell you, it would be mighty hypocritical of me if I were to discourage you from doing Bible or theology education, uh, as I, I have done that, It's a good thing. It is a good thing to go to seminary. It is a good thing to get good, theologically rich education. It is a good thing to know Scripture well. It is a good thing to be familiar with prophecy and to say, I can articulate why here is one long story and why Jesus fits into that as God's promised Messiah. He could be no one else. No one else could be the Messiah. It is a good thing. But never, ever, ever underestimate your story. Never underestimate the power of a personal testimony and saying, here's how I was, here's how I am now. The difference is I met Jesus. A personal testimony of encountering Jesus is a powerful thing. And there's an an interesting follow-up that happens. And I wanna read just a little bit more towards the end of this story because Jesus re-enters the story again after he hears that he'd been cast out. Check out verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, "Lord, I believe," and he worshiped him. Inherent in the whole gospel of John is this theme of come and see. In all of what Jesus is doing, in all of the miracles and all of the discourse, the running theme is an invitation to believe in Jesus personally. Is an invitation to believe and articulate that so much more than just, he does cool things, he's a miracle worker, but to say, this is the Son of God. And that's what Jesus does here. After he has encountered and experienced Jesus, he is presented with this invitation. Do you know who the Son of Man is? Point point him out. I'm ready to believe in anything you say. And he says, it's me. He says, I believe. I'll follow you and he worshipped him. This is interesting, by the way. Nowhere else in John's gospel does anyone worship Jesus. This is the only time it's explicitly stated this man worshipped Jesus. That's as a result of what has happened in his life. He was not persuaded by rhetoric he was not persuaded by someone opening up Grudem's systematic theology and saying, well, you see, if you trace the prophecies of Isaiah all the way through, he met Jesus and he said, I have been changed. I was blind, now I see, I'm all in. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. At the heart of all of Jesus' ministry is an invitation to believe in him but there's more. It's not just this man who has a little conversation with Jesus. In fact, Jesus goes on, and as he is talking with him, some other people are still nearby. It's one of those times where Jesus is talking to someone, but there's an audience, and sometimes it's uh, for their benefit too. And in verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who may, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Oh, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. And this goes on. This goes into chapter 10, and I encourage you to read that this week. Uh, You can follow along with the reading plan. Uh, It goes into what's called the Good Shepherd Discourse, and Jesus kind of goes back and forth, and he has some sparring with them. But at the heart here is Jesus telling this man, you are now not blind, you see. And there are still some people who are blind. And they're going, are you talking about us? You're saying we're blind? And Jesus is saying, yes, I am. This is what spiritual blindness really means. In fact, it would be better if you were blind. I wish you were blind, because then you would at least acknowledge and recognize your need for a savior. But instead you think, I see, I'm good. I have no sin in my life. I am right with God. No, you're not. The people who are truly spiritually blind are the people who do not recognize their need to be made right. The people who do not recognize their need to be healed, who do not recognize they need to encounter Jesus. He says, listen, you're the real blind one here. It it reminds me a lot of uh, in one of the other gospels in Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable of two men who go into the temple to pray one who's a Pharisee and one who's a tax collector. And the Pharisee is very boastful and he says, yes, thank you that I am amazing and wonderful and perfect and you've made me like this and not like, that guy over there, God. And the tax collector comes in and he bows low and he beats his chest and he rips his robes and he says, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Jesus says, one of those guys left made right with God and it wasn't the Pharisee. At the heart of true spiritual blindness is this hubris in thinking we don't need Jesus. We don't need forgiveness. We don't need healing. I'm already good enough. That's when you're really in trouble. How do you know? Well, a personal testimony of encountering Jesus is a powerful thing. Well, so what? What do we do with this? How do we therefore live in light of this man's testimony and this man's story of having received sight from Jesus. And I've got just a couple of thoughts here. First is, if you look back at verse three, where Jesus says it's not because of his sin or his parents' sin, this is so that you could see God's glory displayed right in front of your eyes, that's why. I think way too often, we think in these same terms, in the terms of the Pharisees and the Jewish tradition of like, if there's something bad in my life, I must have done something wrong. This must be God's punishment or judgment on me. Now, sometimes you are going through things because you've made dumb decisions and you're experiencing consequences. Absolutely. But sometimes we are going through things and our inclination is to cast blame, is to say, is this this my fault, or is it somebody else's fault? Sometimes we just live in a broken, fallen world, and we need to understand only God can heal us. Only God can make us right with him. Only Jesus, the light of the world, has come into it in order to make all things new. And sometimes as we sit in the brokenness, it is not because God is punishing you or this is some exactation of his judgment on you. It is so that you will have your eyes drawn to the one who can make things right. Your eyes would be drawn to what God is doing in your life. And whatever you're going through, whatever situation, whatever ailment might be in your life right now, maybe, just maybe, God is using it to point other people to Him. Maybe, just maybe, the way that you walk through this family tension, the way that you walk through this diagnosis, the way that you walk through these disappointing and hard times is gonna show your neighbors, is gonna show your coworkers, is gonna show your family what in the world has she got? Why in the world is his perspective so different? What an unbelievable, amazing, mighty God they must serve. Maybe, just maybe, what you're going through is God using this to show the world how he can work and how he can heal. Second point that I want to share with you is considering, don't be afraid of your past. This guy, when people are saying, isn't he the one who was, but no, I don't think it was him. And he's like, guys, it's me. Hey, you know, and it says, he repeatedly said, he kept saying, I am that man. Don't let anyone else, you know, define your past or who you were or speculate on it. Be okay with saying, yep, that was me. I used to be that woman. I used to be that man. But I'm different now, and here's why. Don't be afraid to share your story and your journey, because a personal testimony of encountering Jesus is a powerful thing. Next, I want to give just a general invitation. In the same way that all of the Gospel of John is Jesus encountering people and inviting them to believe in who he is. Let me invite you, as we go through John, or maybe you've been reading through John, and you really are, Meeting, encountering, and experiencing Jesus on his terms. And you are ready to say, I believe. Not just in some miracle worker. I believe in the Son of God. Let me invite you, maybe here and now for the first time ever, in this gathering to worship God. To worship Christ as he intended as this man did, because of his personal encounter with Jesus. And the second, or whatever number I'm on, fourth, I don't know, you know. The next thing I want to say is, and and this is a little bit harder, this is to the other end. This is to the folks who have been here for a while. This is to the folks that have been in church. This is to the people that do know their theology, who have read the Bible for a long time, who do know their stuff. Let me encourage you not to be like the Pharisees. Know that it is never a weakness to acknowledge our blindness. It is never a bad or shameful thing to recognize where we need God's illumination. If we ever get to this point, this pharisaical perspective, where we think we know it all, we've got it covered. I am right with God. I know the answers. Some young sinner isn't going to teach me anything, you know, and, and cast them out. That is when we are truly spiritually blind. That is where Jesus is saying, you have got to set aside some of the assumptions and expectations that you have every single day and every single time you open God's word, there is something new and fresh for him to teach you, I promise you. I have been studying God's word for over 20 years. 10 to 12 of those, people have more or less paid me to do it, okay? Thank you for that, by the way. My family thanks you as well. Every single time I open God's word there is something new. There is some, and you you older folks, you guys who have been studying the Bible for a while, you know this is true. Every time you go to the text you go, "Oh my goodness, I never noticed that before." Oh man, you know what? I had some I thought it said this but it doesn't say this or oh, that's a neat detail. There is always something new for us to be taught from God's word. Do not be like the Pharisees. Have spiritual, your spiritual eyes opened, and avoid the, the sin of thinking we know it all already, because that is true spiritual blindness. Finally, I just want to illustrate this big idea. A personal testimony of encountering Jesus is a powerful thing. Even in the words that we sung earlier, ancient, uh, ancient words, they're several centuries old, written by John Newton, Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see. And if you know anything of John Newton's story, you know, man, that guy was messed up. (laughs) Man, that guy would have been cast aside. That guy would have been pegged for a sinner the moment he entered the temple. And he says, wouldn't you know it, God saved even somebody like me. And it's a personal testimony of encountering God. For you, in your life, it's good to know theology, it's good to study the Bible, but never ever discount your personal testimony of encountering God. Your personal testimony of how you met Jesus and it changed everything. We all have a story of, I once was blind and now I see. And I don't just mean a conversion experience. I think many of us, grew up in a church, and maybe you, like me, have a kind of, you know, I don't even really remember when I started believing in Jesus. I was, I was that young. We all still have a personal testimony of encountering Jesus. We, all of us, have a story that fits into this mold. I was blind, and now I see. And guess what? No one gets to argue with you. No one gets to tell you what Jesus has done in your life. No one gets to say, no, you weren't. That's not true. You stand as a living testament to say, this is the miracle of God that I am made right with him. Because let me tell you, I was blind, and now I see. I was a wretch, and now I'm a son. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was a prisoner, and now I have more freedom than you can dream of. That's the power of a personal testimony. God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you have done in our lives. And we pray that you would embolden us to speak the truth of all of the ways you have encountered us and changed us. We praise you, we worship you, we bless your name. We thank you for saving wretches like us. We pray it all in the name of Christ, amen.